0: We're going to talk Christmas trees. We've been talking to Christmas trees all morning long here on The Start on 680 CGOB and uh, on Connecting Winnipeg with Hal Anderson. Now we're going to do it on the Jim Tull Show. Very happy to bring in Executive Director for Canadian Christmas Tree Association, Shirley Brennan. Shirley, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm great, thank you, and thank you for having me. Is this truly the most magical time of the year for you and given what you do?
1: This is the most magical time of the year, although Christmas is 365 days a year in my office.
0: I bet. Yeah, that's what, well, you know, let's get into that. Um, I didn't know you existed, so I apologize, but now that I do, I could see us becoming very good friends, especially on this program. (laughs) Canadian Christmas Tree Association, what is it that you do?
1: So I am responsible to do all the political and the publicity for our industry, plus I sit on boards to represent all provinces in Canada.
0: How vastly different is the Christmas tree um, business and, and uh, the growth and the manufacturing and the growing and the planting of them uh, across Canada?
1: It, it is huge. So primarily in the um, eastern provinces, so, um, uh, including Quebec, Quebec, Uh, um, New New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, they are primarily wholesale. So they're the ones that supply the growers with pre-cut trees. In Ontario, the Prairie Provinces and BC are primarily you cut where you come to the farm and you cut your tree.
0: Wow. So uh, this is what we're wondering. Like we did a story today on Connecting Winnipeg earlier uh, with Hal Anderson about Christmas trees arriving today from Quebec. And I think most of us uh, I think some of our listeners are like me and they go, well, we have forests here in Manitoba, and 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 why are they coming in from Quebec? Uh, how does the industry work? How does most of it work? Where does supply come from, and, and how does that all sort of get done?
1: Okay, so for, you mentioned you have forests in Manitoba. So the difference is Christmas trees are growing as a crop. So like any farming commodity, um, it is it, it is a crop. And in Quebec, they primarily grow fir trees. So a lot of areas in Canada can't, the climate or the soil is not conducive to growing fir trees. So that's why uh, you will see trees being unloaded that come from Quebec and eastern provinces. And, and,
0: I, and so, yeah, go ahead. No, no, finish, please. I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: And and so that's why you see uh, whether the trees come from Quebec, whether the trees are shipped from B.C. to Manitoba, you're going to see a vast majority of different trees and species come in.
0: And that's why I wanted to say. Like, I, I mean, I'm no Christmas tree expert by far, but I think some of us just believe that, oh, they come from any forest. Like, there are specific trees that are Christmas trees.
1: Yes. So the popular tree is, is the Fraser fir. And then we have... But there's a whole set of fir trees that people don't, maybe aren't used to hearing about, like the concolor or the um, canine fir or the balsam fir is another popular one, Um, the douglas fir. So there's so many fir trees. So you may think that you're looking at, uh, you know, a a Fraser fir and it, it could be a different species of fir tree. But then... There's also a huge amount of different uh, spruce trees too that people will bring in and have for their uh, Christmas tree as well. So there's lots of variety out there for people to go out and and enjoy Christmas with that fresh
0: natural tree. How has the industry been the past couple of years? Because we, I believe even last year, had a bit of a shortage here in Winnipeg in the city limits.
1: Yes. So what we're seeing is in 2015, our industry was a $53 million industry. And in 2020, it was a $100 million industry. So part of that was because people were staying at home and they were enjoying family time. So And then things started to open up a little bit with the pandemic. So everybody went out to farms and got real trees. So that was the good news about um, the pandemic. Uh, But we were always seeing a steadily increase. Now, when we say shortages... What, happened, what, what is happening is um, the demand has, has certainly risen, but we've also seen in the last 10 years where we've lost 20,000 acres of potential Christmas trees that in the past have been Christmas tree farms and growers. And that's equivalent to 30 million trees. So that attributes to um, maybe not getting um, enough trees. And what's happening is retailers are getting trees in they just may not be able to increase for the demand of the people that that want it or they're not getting the species that people are used to having
0: and why is that that they lost that many
1: um retirement death um the the age the age of a christmas tree farmer is anywhere between um 68 and 85 years old so uh, and, and we've got to remember that a tree takes 10 years to, minimum 10 years to grow. So you don't get to reap rewards for 10 years. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to wait the 10 years. And it's like any farming commodity. We are seeing less and less young people going into the uh, farming industry.
0: So on a totally side note, would you advise a slightly overweight 50-year-old male to get into the Christmas tree growing business?
1: I would advise anybody to get into the um, Christmas tree growing industry. It is an amazing industry, but you got to be prepared. So join those associations. Really do your education. Um, You know, it's not as simple as just planting trees and then waiting 10 years. There is work involved, uh, like any farming commodity, and so just just do the education. But we are we are getting more and more people since the pandemic, and people are working remote again. Uh, since then, we are getting more and more younger people calling us about it. And when I say younger, that's 55 and up.
0: Right. And I don't know why I describe myself that way. Weight has nothing to do with Christmas tree growing, obviously. So <laughs>
1: well, um, but. But being outside and being physical. Yes. You know, it's it's you know, what a great way to shed a few pounds.
0: In many ways this could in many ways this industry could change my whole life should I venture into it for sure, surely. Um, I'm having fun with you, of course, but that that's an important part of it too. The average age of the Christmas tree farmer, but also the fact that it's ten years for a Christmas tree to develop. That's a commitment. Yeah,
1: yeah it is a commitment. And you know, once you once you planted those trees you're in it, right? It's right. not like you're going to because you've already invested that those dollars. So it's it's a labor of love.
0: What is the pricing um, uh, affected by all of this? By the lack of trees, by the 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 however many people wanted one as opposed to maybe the plastic version. in during the pandemic, uh, the idea that you know I think more and more people are going to want a real one w- with the fact that they can get out more and do a little bit more things right now. Uh, how has pricing been affected uh, lately?
1: So this year, we're going to see probably about a 10% increase. Now, having said that, a 10% increase on the tree, but you just said earlier that um, trees were being delivered from Quebec. The cost of transportation has risen so much that that is also going to impede the price in, in places like Manitoba that are bringing in trees. But we're forecasting about a 10 to 15 percent increase and that is solely because of the increase in the cost of running our farms like for instance fertilizer went up 25 percent this year and a lot of farms are seeing a huge increase in um insurance so we are certainly seeing costs related to our farms really increasing
0: Indeed. This has been fascinating. I'm so happy we had you on, Shirley. Um, what is the most popular brand? I just got a text from a friend who's listening and said he's a big fir fan. Um, what is the most popular Christmas tree?
1: So it, it's the Fraser fir. Uh, but if you can't find the Fraser fir, balsam fir, canine fir, con colored fir. The fir trees hold their needles, retain it a little bit longer. Um, but the spruce, I just think the spruce and pine have the strongest Christmas smell.
0: Any final words on this uh, as we head into the holiday season that you want to get out to our listeners?
1: Yeah. um, When you get your tree, you're going to make a fresh cut on it and put it in water. But if you're going out to get your tree and you're, you're not going to put it up right away, keep it, out of the elements of the wind and the snow, but keep it cool. Don't bring it in if you're not going to put it in water right away. Don't put it in a heated garage if it's not going to be put in water. And then water that tree, and it'll last beautifully right into the new year.
0: I do want to, Todd, that's a great point. How often do you water a tree once it's set up in your house? I think that's important.
1: I water mine every day. Every day? And the reason I do that is because you do not want the water... To go below the, the the level of the water below the trunk. So if you let it go below the trunk, the trunk starts to seal over. So as long as that water that that tree is um, drinking, you wanna you wanna keep watering it.
0: And never let your dog or your two year old drink that water.
1: Uh, you know what? My dog drinks the water all the time. And oh, really? It was fine, but yeah, yeah. Because you're not adding anything, right? It's 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 water that the tree is is drinking, and my, my dog would drink out of... I have a, a massive um tree stand, and, and it holds a lot of water. My dog was always under there drinking, and I never worried about it.
0: Great, great. Such great knowledge, Shirley. I really appreciate your time. Can we touch base with you once we get into December again? Yeah, sure. Anytime. Excellent. Thank you very much, Shirley, and all the best to you. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, you too. Okay. Shirley... Yes, Shirley Brennan, Executive Director for Canadian Christmas Tree Association, 780-6868. What is your favorite brand of Christmas tree? Text it in, let us know. Now to get Rob, we had to go all the way to Mexico because that's how Rob Gale rolls these days. How are you, sir? Good afternoon. (laughs) How are you, buddy? I'm well, thank you. Live at the beach? Is this literally on the beach in Mexico?
2: I have my feet in the sand. I didn't want to tell you that. Sun <laughs> beaming down on me. I look like a red lobster, but all as well. I've got Terry Apostle beaming. A uh, smile alongside me on the beach. Life is good, my friend.
0: Well, I was going to say life is good and uh, tell Terry that we're not happy with the weather here, but we'll move on uh, to talk some beautiful <laughs> games. not happy with the weather. As <laughs> well. Um, let's talk about this Team Canada. Hi. Uh, let's talk about this Team Canada and uh, how many of the players on the current roster in Qatar that you have coached at one point or another?
2: I have been lucky enough to coach 16 of those 26 guys um, over the years. So I know uh, a lot about quite a few of them.
0: And I remember talking to you when you were a U-20 coach, Rob, saying that, you know, it's not far away, the the, the group that's coming. What did you see in, in those 16 players over the years? You didn't coach them all at once, but over the years that saw you that Canada was finally on the, the correct path with the U-20 program, which would lead to a World Cup roster?
2: Yeah, I think um, we we were lucky. We qualified for two under seventeen World Cups, um, which obviously gives the players some some experience of getting there and, and what it takes, and playing against teams outside of CONCACAF. But then, with that next couple of under twenty groups, you really start to see players that you know were getting a lot of interest. Alfonso, J- Davis, Jonathan David. Um, the general level of play from the MLS Academy programs had gone up. We were getting players with greater skill sets at a younger age, I would say. And then our job really was to get them to believe that they could compete at the Canadian level. And we worked on the sort of DNA of what Canada could become, you know, rather than just hard working you know, the guys from the north who are going to be tough, we really felt that we could go out and compete with teams and did so at the youth levels. And then, obviously, a lot of them have gone on into great full-time environments, MLS, overseas, uh, and they've just blossomed from there, which is all credit to them.
0: And how much of the style that needed to be changed from, you know, over the years? And, and, and the CONCACAF, I don't know if, if you're not a follower of the beautiful game, and especially CONCACAF, it, there's so many different styles of, of soccer being played around the world, but CONCACAF is like, a, did Canada have to get tougher? Did they have to get more physical? What kind of style needed to change once you saw the talent was there at that young age?
2: Yeah, I think the best way to describe it is we were so naive, you know, game savvy when you go down to Mexico and Honduras and El Salvador and, and these guys are playing, it's their, their route out of the life they're in really. And they're, they're streetwise. They've grown up playing for, you know, bus fares home really on the playground and we got very nice, you know, good kids, a lot of I mean there'd been all, all various backgrounds of course, but the lifestyle in Canada compared to what we were facing, um, was very, very different. So yeah, it was growing up and, and becoming more worldly wise and I think John Herman did a real good job when he took over. One of the first conversations we had was, you know, what lessons have you learned from CONCACAF And what do we need to take in and Things like bringing Mexico into play in Edmonton instead of Montreal where there's a big Mexican population that might support Mexico in the past, you know, and bringing them in into the deep freeze, and how to navigate travel and what lessons you could learn to help qualify and become a little more easier or at least a bit more of a level playing field.
0: I don't want to discredit Herdman at all. I think he's done a fabulous job with just that mentality around Canadian soccer for the men, and much like he did with the women, to to be able to compete. But that has to start at that level where you were seeing a lot of the players as well when they were 16, 17. Like the old adage of dreaming and, and understanding that it's attainable if you if you can get there, That that was part of the battle with the skill that had, because Canada's always had skilled players
2: yeah and I think you have to have the confidence and the mentality and the attitude to to believe that and we went into places like England as you know, and said let's give it a go you know I don't care if they've got Marcus Rashford making his debut let's let's go out and play him let's go toe to toe and you have to give the players the confidence in themselves uh and the belief to go with the talent and, and and that's our job as youth coaches to sort of hand them along the way and try and pass on some lessons on their journeys but I mean, if you look at the the talent we've got now and and the array of environments that players are in and players like Milan who are, you know, in Europe and doing fantastically. Atiba Hutchinson, it's so great to see him there, right? And those experienced players now are are molding those young, talented ones and sharing the lessons of the past and and really building into this new Canada that we're seeing.
0: Uh, What do you make of this side, uh, Galien? What do you make of them against the rest of the world now that they're there?
2: I think we can compete, mate. Look, Saudi Arabia pulled out a result this morning and uh, you've got to go in there with that belief that anything can happen. I think, uh, you know, on, on one-off occasions, which each of these games are, we could, we could cause an upset in any of the group games. Obviously, Belgium is very, very tough and the likes of Kevin De Bruyne. They've been there and thereabouts and, and into previous World Cups. And I think that's maybe the thing that we haven't learned at this level yet is what does it take to compete at a senior World Cup? Because you see the enjoyment, the team bust, the excitement of being a World Cup, and then you've got to be able to knuckle down and perform on the field. So if there's, if there's one thing that may affect us, it's it's playing the occasion and not the opposition. And just everything that goes with being a World Cup, I know they're not just happy to be there. They want to show that they can perform. But one thing, one in two, and another doing it at this level, which Belgium have done consistently. Uh, but I think Morocco, an aging Croatian team, I think we've got an opportunity with the talent that we have to, to go out and cause an upset.
0: A lot of people wish Belgium was the last of the pool games, and I'm kind of of the feeling of, no, let's do it the first one. Let's see what happens. How do you feel about tomorrow in Belgium?
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a free hit. No one's expecting anything. It is. It's Saudi Arabia versus Argentina. You know, it's Australia versus France. Get the big boy out of the way. Whatever happens from that, we'll learn lessons from the game. Uh, If we get something out of it, it's just going to continue to belief and the sale. And if it's not, I think John will draw a line under it very quickly and say, you know, these next two teams are a lot more in reach in the world rankings and and on paper, really, with the talent. Um, You know, Morocco's got some great attacking talent like Ziyech, etc., Luca Modric and the boys with Croatia but across the squad I think we we can feel that we can compete with them so I think three hit tomorrow go out play and enjoy the experience and 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 see how we compete
0: really appreciate your time and your insight Rob enjoy the match tomorrow enjoy the World Cup I'm sure I'll try to touch base with you from another part of the world before the World Cup's done and we'll talk Team Canada as well and uh, say hi to Terry once again
2: I oh, will do, mate. She says hello, and she says, strangely, she is very happy with the weather down here. So I'm not <laughs> sure what you complained about. I, I can understand that, but we're going to be, <laughs> we'll be plus
0: by the end of the week. So we've got that going for us. Uh, enjoy uh, the match tomorrow.
2: Thanks, mate. i got Pacifico in hand. I'm off to enjoy that.
0: Team wrapping up today, cleaning out their lockers. Some injury news, and the final coaches show tonight at seven on six eighty CJOB with Derek Taylor, voice of the Bombers. He joins me now. Derek, you made it home. You good? You safe on those country
3: roads? I did. Uh, all, all safe. Uh, I'm. I'm now. Uh... Almost in off-season mode, but uh, I've already started destroying stuff in my house by accident. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting your, uh, <laughs> your off-season mode.
0: I finally have nothing to do. Oh, now i got to fix something. This
3: sucks. Yeah. Well, that's R- the off Rip the Wi-Fi cable up with a drill. And so you're like, oh, well, I guess I have to replace that. Oh, well, right, let's spend the next hour of my life working on that.
0: I want to get into the Grey Cup, obviously, and the performance and everything like that, but I'm still getting texts about my my stance of Mark Leggio and and everything that went into it. I appreciate you giving me the stats of um, his numbers going into the Grey Cup uh, last week on the show and he uh, coming in um, after the the one playoff game for the season at 89%, league average 90%. Uh, What do you make of Mark Leggio and what the team should or shouldn't do with that position going into next season?
3: Well, it, there's there's two ways to look at this. Uh, Leggio was by, if you're just counting, you know, points he should have scored and points he did score, he was the ninth best kicker in the CFL. The tenth best guy doesn't have a job anymore because he got replaced. So he was the ninth best kicker in the CFL. At the same time, he was the fourth best punter in the Canadian Football League, and his kickoffs were pretty good. So you go, well, I would like him to get the points and ninth best. Literally 20 points worse than the best guy is, is a rough spot to be in, but he does provide value in other areas. And then he's the only guy in the Canadian Football League who this season did all three jobs, place kicking, punting, and and kickoffs, whereas other teams will use uh, a Canadian and an American or two Canadians or a Canadian and a global. He Leggio saves the Bombers an extra roster spot, so you, you start to balance, okay, well, he's not – renee paredes in uh, in calgary or sean white in bc but because he does all three we get to do some extra stuff with an extra in this case in a lot of cases an american player so yeah his 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 place kicking performance was not in any way up to snuff and, and the bombers need better next season be it from him be it from somebody else but if he is back for 2023 you can kind of understand why because you get an extra valuable body on the roster because he does so many jobs yeah, and
0: I think a lot of people are taking my stance of improving on league average at that position on the field goal and the converts as if I want him gone. I don't. He's either got to get better or they got to get better at the position. I thought it was one of those things that we talked about after the Montreal game and going forward, he got really good after that. But at the end of the day, like I don't even have a problem with him missing one of those kicks in the great cup. I have a major problem with him missing one blocked and, and missing one convert. I just think that he has to make... You know, I'll give him a lot of guys. As Mike O'Shea said, would like a play or two back. I will give him a play. I just the two really, I think, hurt the team, and it's something that we've discussed with this team as a potential weakness for two seasons. Mm.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, two missed converts in the West final, including one that was returned for a defensive two point convert. Uh, They were absolutely primed to win that game in Week Ten against Montreal, and like you had the mishit of the decade. It feels like that. He couldn't even explain to us why it came off his foot like that. And then a kick that would have sent the game to a second overtime, he hit off the upright. So, yeah, it's uh, – I can see a player two back, but, I mean, it, you're an elite team. You want a kicker who's – I mean, average in, in this case that we're talking about is the average between 2005 and this year. And in the last – even since Justin Medlock retired, like kickers are unbelievable now compared to 15 years ago. So – if you're the average of over the last 17 years, you're you're behind a lot of other teams right now. Hamilton brought in a guy mid-season. Uh, no, Seth Small came in after about four games, and he was lights out, hitting everything, 58-yarders, boom, let's go. Uh, so he was, like I said, like Rene Paredes was about 18, 19 points in Calgary, above what you would have expected. Leggio will finish the season probably two points below uh, what you would have expected. So a 20-point swing over the course of the season, uh, we see the spots where that would have made a huge difference for the Bombers.
0: Indeed. Uh, Derek Taylor, voice of the Bombers, joining me here on the 680 CGOB Jim Toth Show. He'll have the coaches show, the final one of the year with Mike O'Shea, at 7 o'clock as part of the 680 CGOB Sports Show with Christian oh mal Uh, let's get into the game itself um was it just a matter of the bombers not firing on all cylinders in several key positions or do you give toronto a lot more credit than some people are
3: i i think of it as the bombers not firing in in key positions like uh zach Kolaris' western final wasn't a great game he had one pass picked off and two others that should have been picked off this game he had one pass picked off and he had three more that you go oh, I don't, I don't know, uh, Enoch Mwamba dropped right into his line and almost took that ball away, and Dal- Dalton Schoen had to break one up, and Jamal Peters had his hands on on another one. You go, what is, something's happening here. I don't know if this is, if, I feel like Enoch Mwamba was showing him the, the Argus middle linebacker who won most outstanding, or most valuable player in the Canadian award uh, in the Grey Cup. I feel like maybe Mwamba was doing some stuff that Kalaris had never seen before or was absolutely freelancing, and that's why Kalaris had never seen it before because to see Zach put the ball in harm's way so many times in a single game is is shocking uh, because you certainly have the receivers to, to make those plays. Nick Dembski only gets three targets. Some more would have been good had they presented themselves. The run game was working well. The – uh, I'd have to go back and look to fully remember how the offensive line was, but Toronto was able to get to Zach in spots for sure. Um, I, I don't think the defense was that bad until Chad Kelly came on and, and made a couple of plays, like the scramble for 20 yards after the big return. So, yeah, I I just look at this and go, Doug Brown brought it up in our postgame show. Is Zach, does he struggle in cold weather? And I feel like I have to spend, you know, 2 to 5 hours of my life digging into that and going what what are his numbers in cold weather because Western final um the West final last year those conditions were atrocious though Zach was actually pretty good despite three interceptions but uh yeah there something something happened that Toronto perhaps did to Zach with their solid defense that he was not uh, MOP level in that game
0: yeah, it's uh it's fascinating to delve into it with Michael Shea tonight on the coaches show as well. Um, what's your feelings going into this off season overall? I mean, it's not the the result they wanted after a spectacular year. They have won two in a row. It would have been outstanding to sort of do the three peat uh, where does this team headed in the off season in your mind?
3: Well, Zach's already signed through 2025, so you have the best player in the league under contract. That's great. Uh, Three Down Nation has reported, uh, gosh, li- at least a week ago, they're in negotiations with Willie Jefferson. Uh, I think they're in negotiations with Jamarcus Hardrick as well, and I would, pres- I haven't asked Stanley Bryant, but I would presume Bryant. And you'll see, you'll see some guys get signed before the end of the calendar year just because of the way the salary cap works, and then get to work on the other guys. There's a lot of virtually, let's see, the entire offensive line is a free agent. Almost all the receiving corps is a free agent. Uh, all the defensive line, those guys are all free agents. So there's a lot of work to do. But when you talk to the the players, you really get the sense of, you know, why, why would I leave here? We've been to three straight Grey Cups. We win games all the time. Uh, we win awards. We're, we're a great team. I love coming to work. Why would I leave? So I certainly hope that proves to be the case because when you can get back the Kolarises, the Jeffersons, the I didn't see Adam Big Hill today, but the Big Hills as well. You go, okay, those are the foundational pieces every team in the league wants. Now let's fill in around that and get back after maybe a 15-win season next year. Let's shoot for the moon next season. So, yeah, I, it's, uh, I, I have very good feelings heading into next year, uh, but nothing is, of course, guaranteed as the great Cup game. Once again, reminded me after <laughs> I was mouthing off about three-peats, Toast.
0: I know, and I, I think that that's what's <laughs> the most devastating part about this loss is, um, I, I look, I give Toronto a lot of credit. They beat the Bombers last year. They, they were a misconvert away from at least forcing overtime with them this year. Um, I think they, they defend receivers very well. There's a lot of things of why this Toronto Argonauts team is the Great Cup champions, but it's just that burning. If the bombers were firing on all cylinders, I just, I I ah. don't know. Like that's the thing I think that Lots sticks in. Yeah. That's why even today when I, when I started just talking some bombers and saying you were coming on we started getting phone calls again, like there's a lot of unfinished business, I think with this season that'll go into next year as well.
3: Yeah. And, and here's the thing. And I said this in 2017, when uh, the, the Argos beat the Stampeders, I think the Stampeders were 15, three and one that year. Like, in a one game playoff, the best team doesn't always win, and ultimately it doesn't matter because it's a one game playoff. If you have a seven game, you know, best of seven Stanley Cup final, the odds are much better that the better team is going to win, but that doesn't always happen in the Grey Cup, and that's what the beauty of the Grey Cup is, right? It's one game for your entire legacy, so let's go. And that makes it that made 24 23 and blocked field goals on consecutive possessions so incredible to listen to and to watch. Um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. It does – not I mean, if you're looking at next year, you, no one, I think, thinks Toronto's the favorite to win the Grey Cup next year, even though they are the champs this year. But uh, that's the beauty of the one-game playoff is just about anything can happen.
0: Well, somebody's got to tell their team website too, but that's a story for another day. So we'll oh. – uh- <laughs> We'll move on we don't, we don't have time to get into that um but we will for sure as we go
3: forward uh dt i look forward you saw to the winston rose news to- sorry because he said yeah news. sorry
0: i did want to bring that up because i mentioned it at the start of the show um talk about that i said a bomber was injured in the third quarter i didn't want to give it away but there was some news today
3: yeah winston rose had a boot on his left foot and we saw him and uh turns out he broke his foot in the third quarter of that game i uh, he said he thinks he got stepped on he didn't 100% remember or just didn't want to tell us. But uh, he played every play. I went through the, the game today, and I'm like, there he is on the final kneel downs. There's Winston Rose still going. It swelled up after the game, and, and uh, X-ray showed broken foot. So he's uh, he'll be recovering for a bit. He said it won't affect him as he heads towards next season. Rose is a free agent, so uh, he hopefully he's back. Hopefully he gets what he's looking for in free agency. But, yeah, to have played with a broken foot, Oof! And to he did honestly. Winston Rose was really nice in that game, so I was I was impressed, and and even more so knowing that he did so on a broken foot for the last, you know two-fifths of
0: the game. I was too when I read your tweet today because immediately when I thought of that, I thought of his game and I thought, man, he was really good all game. Like So that that's mm. impressive for what he did. On a personal note, DT, you did a smashing job your first year as a voice of the Blue Bombers. I know it's not wrapped up until tonight's coaches show for this season, but congratulations on an outstanding season. I look forward to next year and you did a great job.
3: Thank you, my friend. The the gang around me made it very, very easy. And uh, yeah, it was it was absolutely a pleasure.
0: Yeah, well, Doug Brown doesn't deserve any credit, but you did fabulous. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not we'll, telling if you said that. We'll, I'll keep that no, please now. don't. Please don't. We'll listen for you tonight with Coach
3: O'Shea. All right, yeah, your text and call is 2047 at zero sixty eight 7 till 8 on CJLB.